been radio silent for a few weeks. Uh, the Leafs keep piling up wins. Keith and I both celebrated birthdays <laughs> in the last week. Uh, Keith, happy belated. Well, what'd you get up to? Yeah, you too. You too. Um, I got my COVID booster shot on my birthday. Um, went out to eat, and that's about it. Uh, still, we were still in. Um, like in Runzik, we were still kind of in like a lockdown stage or like a single family bubble stage. So when my actual birthday happened, um, or the weekend of my birthday, I should say, so didn't really get up to too much. And then the day of my birthday, the restaurants and stuff were back, open back up again. So we, we went out to eat. So it was pretty low key, but it was good. Got to sleep in on the weekend and kind of do nothing. Right. Yeah. I, I got boosted two days before my birthday and then it was pretty low key as well. Uh, I did manage to get out for a, a couple of skates uh, nice. on my I birthday week, That's though, sweet. which which is wonderful. So, gotta love that. And uh, yeah, happy belated. Nick became calls. a degenerate gambler gambler uh, <laughs> over the last few weeks since since we last recorded. Um, this is actually not an episode of Lamenting the Leafs. This is an intervention for, for our friend Nicholas. We're taking away the Bet365 credentials. Yeah, well, I think part of our radio silence here is me licking my wounds over the bills, which I'm sure you guys will, will rib me over a bit later on. And I, I just I needed something yeah. to, to distract me in the sports world and uh, loaded up the old Bet365 app, Lamenting the Leafs, unofficially sponsored by Bet365. <laughs> But yeah, no, it's, I, it, it's been fun. And, and yeah, I know you guys are, are laughing at me, but I've been doing all right so far. Well, we're laughing because you just said uh, that, that your SHL parlay hit today. <laughs> so that's, that's where you are with the NHL and All-Star break, I guess. Well, that's yeah. One, good, it, one it, good thing about being a prospect guy, though, you actually kind of know what you're doing looking at those games. Like, I would, I would just be picking the names that look the coolest. Like, I'm sure you <laughs> actually know who's on the team, so that probably helps. Yeah, well, I have a little bit of familiarity with those European yeah. leagues, so it wasn't like a total shot in the dark. But I managed to hit on that today, so that was that was fun. Just piling it's up wild the wins. How, ex- how exciting a two dollars can make a sporting event. So I. I I, I've, I've been doing it too. Like I can't laugh too much. Cam, you probably you were doing it long. Oh yeah, I'm, I'm, just, <laughs> I'm in. Nick and I'm I, in we kind of sure. get in, we kind of get into it close to the same time. I just wanted basically for me it was making like football playoffs even more interesting, which they didn't need any help because they've been incredible. Yeah, the NFL playoffs have been unreal. Uh, again, I'm sure we'll we'll talk about th- that game a little <laughs> yeah. while later on. But yeah, we'll get into that later. Uh, Leafs were pretty unreal to to finish off before the All Star break. Uh, five wins in a row heading into it, including a couple of big ones over New Jersey. A couple of comeback wins. The Leafs on the other end of the. Uh, uh, on the other end of that, luckily, um, for roller a couple coaster of, of a month. Yeah, the the so called rough month where the Leafs, you know, still managed to pile up points at a pretty good clip, and mm-hmm. and obviously Jack Campbell didn't have you know the greatest stretch, but if you get through that, um, you know they they were lucky to kind of get some soft competition just before the All Star break, and and you know I don't think that it's a good thing that you fall behind like that, but they managed to to pull out the two points in in those instances and um you know probably got to be feeling good especially with a 7-1 decision going into the uh into the break right well j- just if we want to start right there with the two most recent games it, the first one against the devils it really didn't start off that well especially with how january had gone for jack and it, for him to give up three quick ones and get the yank right away you know it, it seemed like w- he was going to be heading into the break on a pretty sour note 
Um, but really things turned around pretty quickly and it kind of worked out for the best, I think, with, with the way it all ended up. You know, Mrazic came in, had a huge game, you know, for his confidence and the, the team's confidence in him probably, uh, picking up that win in the comeback against the Devils. And it, it allowed Jack to come in the next night because he was out so early and was able to kind of find his game again. And he wasn't tested a whole pile uh, by the Devils in that one, but he made a couple of big saves, was there when he needed to be. And now he's heading into the break on a good note. And I, I, I just think that's all you can ask for after the, the way things went for him in January. Yeah, I think like, you know, yeah, almost just the fact that you have both goalies kind of going in now with, with the the team having confidence in them. I mean, it would have been like Jack's hovered around like 900 save percentage for a little while now. Like he, he hasn't he was had 880 a good stretch. Eight, yeah. Well, yeah, that's true. Yeah. 880 in January. So it, it, was a, it was definitely a rough stretch for him. This is bad. It's, it's, I mean, that's the worst stretch that we've seen out of him, you know, in, in a Leafs uniform. But his record over that time was 5 1 and 1. So, you know, maybe early on in the season when Campbell was getting all of his cookies for picking up the yeah. team and stealing some games and helping them rack up some points, you know, the, the tables were turned in January and the guys were picking him up for maybe some less than stellar performances and they were able to outscore a lot of the defensive troubles and some of the goaltending issues. Yeah. And I think that that's kind of the, the, the thing was no one ever really at any point thought that Jack Campbell was a 940 plus goaltender because there is like, nobody's a 940 plus goaltender. I think we all knew he was going to come back down to 920 to 925, but it, it happened quickly and kind of abruptly. And I think that that's kind of what maybe was a little bit troubling. And I think that kind of played into the fact that there was a feeling that the Leafs were like mired in this huge slump. And it never really was. They lost like, I mean, they've won five in a row. They've, the, they lost three before that. And it was like, I think they were four before that, three, four in a row before that. <laughs> They're nine, two, like, and one since January 1st. It doesn't feel like that. <laughs> no. Like it feels like that we just got like they just bumped the schneid somehow and it's not that's just not the case. So I think I mean you you obviously have the like the blown leads and and then getting down early and having to come back. Like they they weren't pretty wins. Like it, nothing really felt buttoned up other than maybe the Jersey game and the Islanders game, but yeah, I don't know. If this is as bad as it gets, they're in a pretty good spot. Yeah, I think on Campbell, you know, we obviously expected him to regress a bit at some point. But, you know, I'd say that the question is still out there as to what he's going to regress to, right? And I think it's great that Mrazek's been so strong um, over this stretch to, to kind of come in in relief and take a bit of the pressure off. Because, you know, if it was just, if, if it was just Campbell and, you know, Joseph Wall, right, like... It, it, you're all you're just looking at, at Campbell waiting for him to to kind of figure it out and it's a lot of pressure and not necessarily it doesn't necessarily mean that that's going to uh, you know make him turn it around any slower or anything like that but it's just nice to have Mrazic step in and, and that's what you need if you if you want to be a top contender right you, you just got to keep it rolling with with whoever's back there um how about Mitch Marner <laughs> man <laughs> he's been uh stellar yeah, it, it, he he's shutting some people up the last couple of weeks here. The uh, the wrist shot, as I've always said, <laughs> is a deadly weapon that, uh, frankly, should be registered in some kind of uh, a database. A deadly weapon. Never database. mind the wrist, or how about that one timer? Uh, yeah, that man, wild. he's been yeah. great. Yeah, 
I mean, he's and, – and, and again, the you know, it's easy to point to the highlight real stuff too, but what he's doing away from the puck has been really fun to watch. Like he's – him and, and – well, the whole line really has been on fire, but just his kind of defensive zone play and just the ability to kind of get pucks moving in the right direction quickly and just always be in the right spot. Like watching him away from the puck, he's not a guy that like – I mean, we should know this by now, I guess, but it, it really isn't a surprise. But he's just so smart with his positioning and his kind of anticipation of plays. And he's sneaky good backchecking too, like just getting a stick in the right spot. He's – yeah, I mean, it, it, like I, I don't I don't think anybody was – like the people who were down on Mitch, I, it was obviously a little over dramatic. And I understand it because of the performance in the playoffs, and that's always going to be the caveat with this team, and especially with him and, and even Matthews to an extent. But to to just, like the kind of wild, you know, trade Mitch Marner talk was always a little out of control. But you're definitely not seeing any of that right now. No, like when Mitch is on, he's one of the best wingers in hockey, and he has certainly been on ever since coming off the injured list 16 points in his last seven games he's averaging just under four shots on goal per game which is something that kind of stands out when you're talking about Mitch and it's been something that he's talked about too wanting to shoot the puck more and it's definitely been working as a blade yeah I mean Uh, Keith you mentioned you know what he does away from the puck like there was was one play uh, I think it was against the Devils where it might have been on the power play and he was um, you know, manning the point, and it looked like the Devils were going to pretty easily skate it out and, and get a clear, and he just completely stripped like uh, uh, the, whoever it was trying to, to skate it out. I can't remember exactly who was yeah. trying to carry it, but um, you know, he, he still managed to get get out of the zone. But the Leafs were able to regroup. The Devils kind of had this this uh, you know when you when you have it in that that uh, possession like that, you, you kind of have this sense of of, okay, we can get a change here, and the Leafs were able to kind of just drive it right back in quickly, and it, it led to a, a good opportunity. And and that's you know when he's on, he just does so much all around the ice. Yeah. Um, he's he's a wizard with and without the puck. He's just so smart, and yeah, he he's been you know I think he made a comment that you know he he, he hates this timing for the All Star break, and I kind of did too. I just wanted it to see it keep going here. It felt like the Leafs were kind of finding their footing after uh, the the struggles in January, and and now we got to wait until uh, till Monday to face the Canes. So um, yeah, I'm I'm excited to get back to it and and see if that goal streak keeps up. Well, with our little hiatus, we didn't get a chance to talk about uh, Sheldon Keefe's experiment with the different line combos and having Matthews and Mariner and Nylander all on different lines. I, I know he was using Nylander up and down the lineup and getting them all kind of looks together here and there throughout the game. Uh, I, where do you guys stand in terms of always having Matthews with Mariner or Nylander or trying to have those guys separated and driving their own lines? Because I, I know a lot of us like seeing Matthews and Nylander playing together. It's something that's definitely worked in the past, but I, I just think that both Matthews and Mariner are at their best when they're together. And I, I know a lot of people would make the argument that they shouldn't need each other to be at their best, but I, I think it's like an exponential thing. Yeah, where the, exactly. just, the, just the two of them together, it, it's it's magic and the way that they're playing right now they're, they're they just look unstoppable arguably the best duo in the league it, it, the, the, that's the thing is they don't need each other to be to be great but putting them together just makes them that much better like it, that's all it really comes down to like if you know mitch could like matthews has 
had success with Kasha and Bunting beside him. It's not like that line, you know, cratered with, with when Mitch fell apart or fell off of it. But I don't have any issues with Keith doing that. For the no, I didn't mind it at all, and I won't mind it if he tries it just, again either. Exactly. Get a couple more looks of, of some different kind of combinations to go into the playoffs because when when stuff stops doesn't work in the playoffs, they didn't really have anything to go to um, that that has had success in the past last year. So that's that. I have no issues with that. He he, you know, put them out there. You know, watch what happened. Saw some probably saw some things he liked, some things he didn't like. Learn from it. Get the lines back together. You know, get going to the break with that and try it again in a month. Like uh, I have no issues with that whatsoever. It's not like they have to win every game tonight or every game for the rest of the year to like be in a playoff battle. I mean, I they still have a ch- like a very good shot at winning the division, and they should try to do that, obviously. But it's not like they're pissing away two points if they bring cash up onto the first line. No, and it's all about the process of building towards their best selves come playoff time, right? So I agree, Keith. I had no problem with the way Keith did that whole thing from putting those lines together to the way that he broke them up when he felt it wasn't working to sticking with the original lines moving forward. And I won't have a problem with him trying it again down the stretch here because, as you said, when push comes to shove, if Mitch and Matthews do get shut down again in the playoffs, so help me God, if that does happen, I don't know what I'll do. But <laughs> you have to have something else to turn to, and they just had nothing in their back pocket last year. Yeah, to be honest, I, I kind of thought that maybe they pulled the plug a little early on it. I, I liked the move, yeah. and I, I thought it was, you know, obviously, you know, it, it wasn't looking good there when when the the change was made. But um, I think Keith's point was uh, a good one. Like he wanted to just get things straightened out and go into the break. You know, know on a good note maybe we'll, we'll yeah. investigate this again later yeah it makes sense the the only thought that i had um against it kind of not even against it was it, it just was more curious to me that you know keith has expressed his you know desire to have this this checking line and by all accounts he's had a very good one all season and then you know to experiment with it and kind of uh break that up and go with more of a balanced scoring approach you know was an interesting look but i i liked it i thought that um you know if anything sometimes you know the the, the changes are, are reverted too quickly and and um but you know again it was it was not a, a bad call and obviously it worked out down the stretch um but uh, yeah I, I mean i i i like seeing nylander having his own you know driving his own line I, I don't view it as a demotion in any way and obviously he's still getting other looks like i think he played like close to 21 minutes or something in that that first game that they broke up so yeah i think we probably make too much of like the pre-game line combos or practice line combos especially with sheldon keith it's not a new thing the, the way that he shuffles things around in game or you know it tries to get an advantage on an offensive zone draw by putting three of the big guns together or something like that so uh, nylander was always going to get his looks with matthews or Tavares, and we even saw some shifts of mariner nylander matthews or Tavares nylander uh, Mariner, it, it, Keith is creative with the way he deploys his players. So I, I don't think it's worth getting too worked up over having Nylander slotted in on the third line at practice. Yeah. Did you get worked up over uh, him calling the Leafs soft at all, which is something that happened uh, a couple of weeks <laughs> back um, after another blown lead? I don't think it was unfair. And like, I think it got blown up too, because as Keith said afterwards, he doesn't come out and say anything in the media that he hasn't already expressed to the guys in the room. It's not like 
the the players on the team are hearing the media conference and this is news to them or they're blindsided by the way Keith felt about their performance like it, it, I, I think that's another thing we just kind of we assume that that's the communication between the coaching staff and the players when that's just not the case yeah and this here's the thing i have no problem with it either because they did play soft that night like they didn't have a great outing it was a rangers game right yeah and he's got so yeah. many of those bullets to to shoot each year right i think that was a good time to to haul one out the thing that that and this isn't keith's fault at all but from a you know a macro hockey fandom kind of look at it it's it's yeah the Leafs had a bad night and played soft that night it, it it's not like that happens to other teams too. Like the the Panthers, the the darling of the league this year, they lost to the Kraken not that long ago by like five, they let in five goals or something like that. I lost it, that fucking parlay because the Coyotes <laughs> scored this tie game yeah, against man, the Avalanche. It, uh, the Avalanche. Like let's not pretend. I'm pretty sure they got spanked by Ottawa before Christmas. So it's like like. It, that's the thing that drives me nuts. Well, everything's hyper focused on the Leafs. This is, you know, it's yeah. Leafs fans listening to this. It's the Leafs that we're talking about. It's the Leafs that we all pay attention to. So, yeah, and that's that's the thing. But it, you, you got to take this a step kind of back. Like, you get this sense in the, to the goalie, the goalie thing too, right? Like that happens to other teams too. Like this, it's it's not unique to the Leafs to have a coach come out and say that they didn't play well that night. And it's not unique to the Leafs to run into a hot goaltender. It doesn't, it just, that, that type of stuff always bugs me is we get way too focused. There's other teams in the league, good teams lose to bad teams. It happens. Yeah. And good teams lose to good teams. Like the Rangers are good. Yeah. The Rangers are really good. (laughs) Yeah. um, I, I think that, you know, I didn't have a problem with it. I think that it was um, just an interesting comment to make, um, in the context of, you know, what we've been talking about, where it's, you know, it, it seems like it's been kind of a disaster of a month, but they're still piling up points. And how do you feel as, you know, if you're on the team and you've been doing nothing but winning and then, you know, you you, you, you obviously have had a couple of meltdowns, but a few of them you pulled it out. Um, it kind of goes back to last year, know. though, right? Like. It- it, it, it just feels it, it does it does but it, it feels a little bit like browbeating a, a, a little because it's not like uh, you know it's it's anything new and I just I, I wonder if you know at what point because you know it, all, all coaches are hired to be fired right and you're looking for those points of like uh, where the where the relationship starts to fracture a bit and I wonder if you know in the middle of like your first kind of tough slide of a season where you've been really incredible your coach is calling you soft when you you all know that this you know leads up to the playoffs and getting back to the uh, the, the playoffs and and trying to actually advance past the first round for once and and hopefully further beyond that and and that's what you're centered on and it's like uh, uh, it, i don't know it, it it just seemed a little harsh given the circumstances although i mean he he was he he was certainly not wrong and they haven't done anything to to shed the label of soft but they're not going to do anything but, uh, until the playoffs to do that so i i just coming from your coach i wonder how how it was received you know well what i'll say right off the top is he was talking about one specific game that he was asked about right i, I think that's another thing too is some people have taken that quote and kind of made it a more holistic uh, take on the team from the head coach he clarified that on overdrive too he was on overdrive not too long ago 
it was about that specific game and you know there was some bad habits starting to to pile up in recent games too i had no problem with him kind of nipping things in the butt the, the way that he did there and i i don't also don't really buy into the whole like you know they were winning games yes but there was absolutely some process oriented things that didn't look great in those games and the whole thing about you know you don't criticize a win or whatever i don't and I don't think Keith buys that either because we saw it in the Amazon series. They were winning when he when he kind of had that early season kind of state of the union with them. So I don't think he's in that camp either where, yeah, you know, if you blow a, a, a two-goal lead, you know, in, or whatever it was, a two- or three-goal lead, but if you do that multiple times – a coach isn't gonna isn't gonna just be like, all right, no worries, you you know you came back and won this time. Like that stuff's clearly got to be addressed. And so, I mean, I hear what you're saying though, Cam, in the sense that that's the like maybe first bit of adversity that the teams had to face in a long time, and they're all coming off of like all having COVID and and all having like a you know a pretty substantial break in the middle of the season. That it might have been a little tiring to hear, but also at the same time, if you know, when they heard that stuff last year and that pissed them off and then ultimately they were out in the first round, I think they should be a little bit more open to that kind of talk and that, that kind of criticism and, you know, doing something about it when when it happens. Yeah. I think that the way I kind of look at it is more so like, um, you know, what, what you said, Nick, in terms of, you know, it's not like he's saying anything to the media that he isn't saying to the team first. I guess it's, you know, the team is probably saying, well, do, do you have to say everything to the media that you say to us? Like, maybe you want to yeah, keep, keep it in the room. Keep I, that I bet closer you what, the best. I, I'm willing to bet that what he said to the media wasn't exactly word for word what the boys heard in the room. No, that night. <laughs> no, no doubt. No doubt. Um, hey, I wanted to touch on this um, since we got a little bit of time here. Uh, we'll get into it more in the weeks to come. And maybe we'll even get specific next week. But I wanted to talk about trade targets because that's, you know, a little bit of the discussion right now with the the trade deadline. Uh, Still, what, I guess uh, seven, eight weeks away. But, um, you know, what are the holes in this team and what might the Leafs be targeting and what will they even be able to make happen with the the cap? Um, Any names that you guys have kind of attached yourselves to um, a few weeks out from the deadline here? I, I had had uh, to Damon Severson, um, <laughs> and he who played his way off of, of everybody's trade target list. Um, I don't know. I mean, he's obviously a good player and had a couple of bad games, but they were ex- like excessively bad. But he looked like when uh, when you're playing NHL and, and you don't know which button is to skate backwards. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, it was bad. It was, and then he took some bad penalties, and then that time that some like his his like visor got pulled down over his eyes or his helmet, and then when he flipped it up, like the puck was almost in the back of the net. <laughs> like he just said, yeah, yeah, he, he was goes. filming a Three Stooges skit. Yeah, basically. exactly. Um, but I'm not going to rule him out because of a bad couple of games. But anyways, I, I I think we were talking about this on Twitter. I think you were in the kind of thread, Nick, and our guy Doug said something that. I thought made a lot of sense, which is that they somehow have like limited options, but also unlimited because of the fact that they want to go after somebody with term. And if you like, if you look at the other side of the equation and you just look at like rental defensemen, because I think everybody kind of is on the same page that they, they need help in the back end. There's really not that much available for rental defensemen that that play the right side because I think everybody's into the idea of Mark Giordano, but I just don't see how that works with their lineup. Yeah, uh, I think the 
biggest addition that the Leafs can make down the stretch is getting Jake Muzzin back to being Jake Muzzin. Uh, yeah. He's been, you know, the biggest, well, him and Hall together have, have been the biggest problem on the back end. And now we're seeing it kind of lead to some more issues with guys being forced to, to play over their heads. I think Lilligren's taken a step back in the last little bit here. He's starting to look kind of overwhelmed at times. Obviously, the time off and the COVID break hurt everybody. But I think that he's struggled. Um, I don't think you're comfortable slotting Rasmus Sandin into a top four role, especially shifting him over to the right side. And Travis Dermott, as much as I love him, has been a huge disappointment this season. I think he's definitely played his way out of the, the team's future plans. He, he He's not somebody I, I'm comfortable with playing in the playoffs this year, I don't think. I, depending on who you've got on that third pair. Uh, with him, yeah. Like if you're if you're back to having a Bogosian type, or if you acquire a Josh Manson kind of player, it, it's just it's hard to make all the the pieces fit. I think because in order to solidify that pairing with Muzzin, unless Hall gets back to you know the, the way that he was playing in the first half of last season, and I do think that Hall has been better lately. And Keith, you raised this in conversation a few days ago. It, that just kind of raises the question it, whether Muzzin has been the bigger problem on that pairing. And that's a, that's a fucking terrifying proposition given the money in term that is still owed to him. But yeah, get, just getting back to my original point, uh, I think getting Muzzin back after this extended layoff for him and, and hopefully getting him back healthy, I, I think that's the most important addition that this team can make down the stretch because of how important he has been to them since he's been here. He was arguably their best defenseman last season. We've seen how crucial it's been when he's been out of the lineup in the playoffs the, the last couple of years or the playoffs and playoff bubble if we're going to be technical. But it, this team just needs him and they need him to be a lot better than he has been through the first half of the season because it, it hasn't been good. And he he just takes on such a, a large role for this team and kind of just makes everyone slot into their appropriate role. And if he's not able to fill his, it just, it, it creates problems everywhere else. Well, in talking about how Sandine and Hall have looked all right together, I, I think that has led me to think that that would be a pretty serviceable third pair in the playoffs. Like yeah. I, if you I can find that piece to, to pair along with, to Muzzin, with Muzzin. I, Yeah. That's that's I think you, you're into ideal kind of dream world at that point, um, which I mean it's not dream world in the sense that it's unrealistic, but that's that's kind of like where I think that that like if I had to pick something, you, you mentioned Josh Manson and he's a guy like I think Leafs fans have wanted him forever. I think most hockey fans would like a guy like that on their team, but I just don't see how a team in first place or close to first, they might've slipped since last time I looked, but a, a team that's well in the playoff hunt is going to, you know, I know he's like the, the caps or the contract situation or whatever, but I just don't see how they do that. But at the same time, his name's always out there. So there might be something to it. But if you look at the Islanders, Scott Mayfield's a guy who plays a pretty similar game and could probably be had for what less than what Josh Manson's going to cost because of the fact of just the na- the name brand value that Manson carries now. It brings me back to the making the pieces fit, and if you're slotting Hall in on that third pair with Sandine because you, you like what you've seen these last couple of weeks here, 
I don't know that uh, a player like Mayfield or Manson is the best fit alongside Muzzin to unlock right. him to be his best self because I think then you're you're asking him to do a lot of the heavy lifting in terms of moving the puck up ice and stuff and that's not really where he excels. He you know he he's strong along the boards, cutting off the cycle, defending in zone around the front of the net and stuff like that. I, I, it's a really interesting question and I, I don't know how they're going to make it fit. If Timothy Lilligren was a, a year or two ahead in his development, perhaps he's the answer there, but right now he's not. My goodness. I just looked up Scott Mayfield's cap hit and uh, I will offer off, uh, offer up chopping off my left foot. Uh, if that will help somehow for some reason, get the deal done. <laughs> yeah, uh, he's I don't know why it would, but uh, yeah, 1.45 for this year and next. They might not yeah. even have to give um, up draft picks for retention. No, exactly. You just take that whole hit and, and not have to worry about that. Like, I mean, there's there's other options out there. Like, do you look at a Colin Miller? Do you, like, he's kind of fallen. He's got the Buffalo stink on him. But. <laughs> yeah, so I think that the thing with Muzzin is, like, as much as you want someone to stabilize his play for this season and hopefully going forward, you also kind of have to look at it like you're replacing him a little bit because, yeah. uh, like, he's going to be 33 later this month. Sorry, Keith, I know you just turned 33. I just <laughs> turned 32. Absolutely ancient. But yeah. <laughs> listen, you know how we both feel waking up in the morning at this point, right? It's yeah. a little creaky. Um, and, and, like, you, again, have the reality that you, he hasn't given you a healthy run in the playoffs over the last two seasons. And, and you know, who knows if you're going to get it this season, right? So you really have to look at it as much as, you know, like, I wouldn't be focused on, like, a, a puck mover to help Muzzin or anything like that. I, I think you, you got to go out and get another really solid defensive presence with an eye towards maybe someone who's going to be a long-term guy if, if Muzzin kind of can't get it back on the rails, right? Yeah, it's, it just depends on who, who, who becomes available to you, I guess. It, it, like, if, if you're down to the option of only having, you know, a, a rental or something like that, then I, I think you got to bite that bullet. But I'm with you in the sense that you can kind of future plan a little bit for what's going to happen. Because injuries are, are quietly becoming a concern for Muzzin. Yeah, they're, they're they're definitely piling up, and he's a guy that plays a pretty physical style, and especially this latest injury and just kind of the uncertainty that it's been surrounding the whole thing, and it just kind of being pushed further and yeah. further down the line with a head injury. That's scary. They didn't call it a setback, but it felt like a setback. Yeah, when they just kind of shut him down. Yeah, no, it's it's concerning for sure. So yeah, we'll, we'll maybe do some more digging on on some trade targets, and we'll we'll continue to talk about this obviously as we head towards the trade deadline well i think however muzzin plays when he does return is going to have a a big influence on what the leafs plans are before the deadline yeah no no doubt um nick robertson's back as well right nick um just one game under his belt or yeah he returned uh, we're recording on thursday so he uh, he returned to the Marlies lineup last night wednesday against grand rapids um i, I watched a, a bit of the game the, the first little bit there it, 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 i just kind of had a chuckle to myself watching his first couple of shifts because it looked like he he never really – it certainly didn't look like he was coming back from a serious injury because he was water bugging all over the place and just going 100 miles an hour. Uh, he, he took a massive hit in the neutral zone, uh, carrying the pocket transition after getting around a couple of checks. Uh, he got metal in front of uh, one of the benches, uh, and he stood the guy up pretty good. Uh, I, I think the, the guy delivering the hit probably got the, the – 
the worst end of that. So it was definitely nice to see Robertson just back on the ice at all. Um, but to see that he wasn't really tentative at all and w- was just, you know, back to playing his game, that was the, the really encouraging thing. And, uh, and if he can get back to his, you know, regular form in, in the next few weeks, if the Leafs are looking for another body up front at some point down the stretch uh, due to injuries or, or what have you, or just if he comes back and goes on a tear uh, in the next few weeks in the AHL, he could be an option for some secondary scoring down the stretch and into the playoffs. So uh, definitely nice to have him back. Yeah, um, you know, that that's certainly a guy that uh, I think we're, we're hoping will be able to contribute sooner than later, and, and that's if he's not, you know, moved on for one of the aforementioned uh, – yeah, he's, def- he's definitely yep. a guy that, that I could see being in play if 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 a if a longer term solution with an attractive cap it comes up. Yeah, yeah, I, I think that's definitely a possibility. But I think in terms of like their their big four prospects, if you want to group Robertson, Amirov, uh, Nyes, and Nimula together, I think that the two that the Leafs would be most hesitant to move on from at this point would probably be. Nice, just because of how unique he is in terms of the skill set he brings compared to the rest of their system, and Robertson because he's the closest to making an impact on their current roster, and he's yeah. also at his absolute lowest trade value right now too, probably. Yeah, exactly. That's that's another really good point. But yeah, I think that the fact that you know we've got Matthew signed for another couple of years. And you have a guy who's sitting there and could be a potential contributor in the next year. I don't know if the the Leafs are going to be anxious to move on from a guy like that. But as you said, if it's bringing in someone that could help them even more right now, it kind of serves the same purpose. Um, Something pretty cool happening tonight as we record in the ECHL. Uh, Danielle Goyette, who was named the Maple Leafs Director of uh, Player Development last May, uh, she has become the first woman to be on the bench for an ECHL game as she is uh, serving as an assistant coach uh, with the Growlers. Uh, they're down 7-2 in the third, it looks like, right now. Um, but she's going to be on the bench filling in um, tonight, which again is Thursday and Friday night as well. So uh, pretty cool stuff there. She's got, had plenty of coaching experience over the years in, in the um, the. the college ranks and uh um making some history tonight so that's pretty cool that's cool and uh you know speaking of of olympians uh olympics are underway the canadian women kick things off with a big win over the swiss uh five point night for nova scotian blair turnbull yeah that, that's um, that's her first uh, official game back since the celebration injury is it not I believe yes. Uh, well, I mean, she she might have played in some of the uh, some of the run up stuff. Yeah, I think, yeah. but uh, I think she was on the ice pretty quick after. But uh, yeah, she she's back out. She there wasn't and, tentative after a broken leg either. Hey, no, looking good, looking good. So uh, it, yeah, huge win over over Switzerland. Uh, talked about her on a previous podcast. How about Sarah Fillier? Ah, uh, she's awesome. I love watching her play. Like she's the the most exciting young player coming along in the in the Canadian program in a long time. Yeah, she was buzzing. Yeah, she really made a name for for herself in the program last night just on like a national stage. Yeah. Yeah, she's going to have the big games for sure. Um, tough bounce, obviously, for the Americans. Brianna Decker out for the tournament uh, after getting injured in their opener. 
yeah, uh, I, I I haven't seen it, and based on what I've heard, I don't know if I want to see it. It's uh, a terrible loss, though, for the Americans. That's you know one of the best players in the world, probably the best yeah. player on their team, and big um, loss for the whole tournament. Miss her, yeah. It it, it it sucks. Like I, I want to see best on best, and you know if you beat them, you're not even beating them at their best, right? So, yeah. um, it's tough, but um. Yeah, it wanted to shout out as well. Um, you know, obviously you got Blair Turnbull, uh, Jill Saunier as well on on Team Canada, a couple of Nova Scotians, but um, uh, also got a, a Nova Scotian representing uh, on another team, Jessica Wong, uh, who is from Bedeck uh, on Cape Breton, uh, is playing for China. She's been playing in China. She was playing for the Chinese team in the CWHL. And once they folded, she uh, jumped over to uh, one of the Chinese teams. And I think the, the KH or the, uh, the, the Russian women's league. So, um, so yeah, she, she was uh, on the ice for China actually had an assist on their only goal and their loss uh, to the Czechs. They kept it close though. Three, one, um, Wang Yuting. I, I don't know if I said that right. I hope I did. Um, that's, that's her, her um, name that they, I don't know if you saw this that they've given kind of traditional names to all of the the players. Of course, some of them are you know import players, um, but yeah, Jessica Wong, uh, Nick. I, I don't know how much you would have seen her. I saw her play uh, one time when I th- think she would have been like thirteen or fourteen years old. It, it was a girls' league, and I, th- I think she scored like nine goals before I left the rink <laughs> that day, and the game wasn't over yet. She she was like filthy yeah, good just uh, legendary stories of uh, her absolutely trucking people in cape breton just <laughs> uh, yeah crazy good i i think i only saw her once probably around the same age and uh yeah foolishness foolishness so really cool um gonna be cool to watch watch her play and watch the uh canadian women as the the tournament progresses um and the men's roster was named as well. Few East Coast connections there too. Um, Alex Grant, yeah, native of Vanaganish, former St. John Sea Dog. That's right. First the original, pick. the original, and that's the, right. And yeah, the, that's right. Their first pick, their first pick in franchise history. Yeah, the uh, that's another guy I would have seen at around that age playing junior A, like fifteen years old or something, playing for the junior A Bulldogs. Vanaganish, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, yeah, he was stud around here and, and gets a pretty cool opportunity to suit up with NHLers not going. Um, you got Brandon Gormley as well from uh, former Prince Wildcat. Edward Island. That's right. That's right. He, uh, yeah, those, another, uh, he was on those, I think, on those. those. Uh, He's on those really stacked Moncton teams, I think. He, yeah, the, he was. And they, it was the year that they beat um, beat the Sea Dogs in the, in the, in the finals, final. I believe. Yeah. I think that was yeah. 2010 or something like that. But I remember my I dad right. and I dro- drove up to the to one of those games um, up in the old Moncton Coliseum. That place was awesome. Just a <laughs> hazard. Just <laughs> oh, absolutely. Yeah, it was like uh, yeah, yeah. Just trying to filter everyone out through the little hole at the top of the tin can. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. That place is great. Um, yeah, he, he was great. I, I was once upon a time parked behind him. I went for a night of belligerence in Charlottetown, and I was parked behind Brandon Gormley's big fucking SUV or whatever the hell it was <laughs> on the uh, on the PEI ferry. And then I saw him later nice. that night at the bar. 
Peaks Key, shout out. This is Peaks Key. This is not helping, you know, all of our Ontario listeners thinking that we know everybody in Canada is <laughs> we do. just one little village. We do. Don't believe we it. We all know everybody. Yeah. Um, yeah. Used to hang out with Sid. Then <laughs> Nate came and stole him. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and uh, another PEI connection, I believe Morgan Ellis is on the uh, the taxi squad um, PEI guy who was the captain of the Cape Breton Scream. Former Eagles, the Eagle, so. yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, Christy Domenico as well, I think, is on the taxi squad, former Leafs prospect. Another Sea Dog legend as well. Yeah. That's right. Big time Sea Dogs legend, yeah. Yeah, he was great. Um, so, yeah, that'll be, I mean, I'm not going to lie, I'm not going to watch a second of it, but I hope they all do well. <laughs> I'll probably watch it, but I can't see me watching like the round robin. I, 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 I and like depends on the time of day too, because of the time zone shit. But I'll definitely watch like the, you know, the kind of playoff slash gold medal game type type games. But I can't see I'll me hold you tuning to in it. for like a can't see me tuning in for like a round robin match against switzerland or something well i'll lie and say that i'm going to watch every canada game and if you would like to know more about the canadian roster you should head over to the leafsnation.com and read my breakdown of their roster <laughs> yes i am personally super pumped for all just the other winter olympic sports i fucking love the winter olympics give, give yeah. me Kick, snow, kicks the shit out of the snowboard cross you kidding me that that's incredible <laughs> that is like 45 <laughs> seconds of just absolute jam-packed entertainment yeah they're they're all crazy like skeleton oh, blues incredible. And like, they're amazing uh, sports that no human being should do but it's <laughs> awesome absolutely yeah it's um you you got to do it i, I uh have fond memories of like I, I being back at the radio station. I wasn't a morning guy, but for the 2014 Olympics, I was on the morning show for a week. Maybe might have been the whole thing. Might have been two weeks, and I just sitting there in the mornings with the the, the stream going. And me and my broadcast partner just both losing our minds watching whatever it was, you know, short track speed skating or whatever. And it's just you're <laughs> that's fully the, that's in. That's the best part. We all become speed skating experts. It's incredible. And just snowboard experts and figure skating experts in the next couple of weeks. I, I hear the name Charles, Charles, Charles Amelin like, once every four years and I fucking love, I love it. <laughs> <laughs> like, yeah. he's, it's awesome, man. Is he still clipping along out there? Or, or is so. he done? No, he's he's the flag bearer, but he's he's what? he's the what? he's the flag bearer for the opening ceremony. Him and Poulain, Mary Philip Poulain, good for him. Yep, he's still I, I'm kicking. I'm big into the what's uh, Ross? The what's Ross Rosley? Is that guy still kicking <laughs> <laughs> Smoking weed. <laughs> Um, who's the who's the Mikhail Kingsbury for the uh, the mogul skiing? That's the guy that I'm really looking forward to to watching at the Olympics this year too. I think he won the gold last time around, so he'll be uh, yeah, he's really he'll good. Be, he'll be trying to defend his title there. Yep, there you go. Olympic report: lamenting the Leafs. We <laughs> we've got it covered. Um, Nick, we we need to taste your tears a little bit here, bud, because we we've Ugh. been away for a couple of weeks, so. I know it's probably not as good as it would have been a couple of weeks ago, but I know it's still fresh enough. So how are you feeling about those bills? Well, I've had some time to process all of it, you know, digest the whole thing. Had some time to see the, the Chiefs eventually meet their, their doom as well. And I have to say, none of it has helped. <laughs> um, 
like 13 fucking seconds, man. Like it's, uh, that's just going to be something that lives on forever right there with the, you know, the four straight Super Bowls in the early nineties and not coming away with one. This is right up there with the, uh, what was the fucking, uh, what's the music city miracle? Yeah, yeah, Jesus, why couldn't that's all right. This is right up there with the the Music City Miracle. You know, it, it's just one of the all time most devastating losses. But what an outstanding game! Yeah, like, as an impartial viewer of the game, holy shit! Like that, that, it, that, it, incredible. It, well, I, I'm very partial, <laughs> and you know, it, 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 even as gutting and devastating as that was, like even in that moment. I was still like, holy shit, what did I just watch? Like, just a remarkable performance by both teams. But, like, it, it, even though it was Mahomes that, that came away victorious there, and maybe I'm biased, but, like, you guys can tell me, was Josh Allen not the best player on the field at, at the end of yeah. that game in the, in the final few minutes? Like, some of the stuff that he was doing was just, you know, otherworldly. Like, the guy's a freak. And that's the, the, the one consolation i'm taking out of the whole thing is that as long as we've got that guy you know in his prime the way he is right now we're gonna have a chance against anyone i would agree with that for the simple fact that the way that mahomes and and the chiefs kind of got back into the game was was kind of two things which was one was that crazy run after the catch from hill where there's only one guy in the planet that can do that and mahomes didn't do that you know he got the ball into his hands right but it wasn't like it was a crazy throw or anything or you know uh, whatever but then and then you have Unfortunately, Buffalo's defense playing really soft in the 13 seconds and him just just some really poor decision making and play calling there across the board and then and then just, you know, pitching it to Kelsey for 20 yards and then to another 20 yards and and then you kick a field goal or whatever it was. Right. So I don't think that Mahomes not trying to take away from what he did. He was clearly an incredible game. He was awesome. But if you're asking to like, you know evaluate the two quarterbacks at the end of the game josh allen was more impressive yeah like it it was just it was such a roller coaster and watching him i I think like some of the criticism that is still hung around with allen the last couple years is that you know even though he was had an mvp caliber regular season last year he wasn't quite that in the playoffs so there was still the question of of, you know is big game josh going to show up when it really counts and i think you know through those two playoff games that the Bills played, uh, it was undeniable that, that he was a star and the, that he's one of the brightest stars in the league oh, yeah. moving forward. So um, another thing I'll say is that it, it's kind of got lost in everything that went on with that game and you know the way it all ended and the performance of the, the two quarterbacks. But how about Gabe Davis? Imagine having like, four touchdowns and like ones that are that important and no one – thinks about it anymore yeah like he's a footnote yeah and i believe he's the first receiver to ever have four touchdowns in a playoff game he was talking about like, that <laughs> nobody like yeah. 200 and some yards and, and as you said like coming up clutch uh, some big catches at big times he's another guy who, who's on his way to star status i was expecting big things out of him this year it kind of took a while with the with the uh acquisition of emmanuel sanders in the offseason he, he took some of those snaps early on but you know, Gabe Davis is more than capable of uh, being a number two receiver opposite of Stefan Diggs. So still feeling pretty good about our offense. Um, but, you know, I just every time I see a football or a, anything that reminds me of football, all I can think is just how close they were to, to getting there. 
and uh, yeah, it hurts. Yeah, tough to run into Mahomes, man. That's uh, yeah. I, like, yeah, I think I'd agree. I think that Allen was probably, arguably, the best player in in the playoffs. Period. When you look at his body of work, he only got the two games in, but holy shit, he was uh, he was lights out. Um, Super Bowl's coming up. What uh, we, we don't need to make picks because Keith and I are in a embroiled yeah. in a playoff <laughs> yeah. pool. We, we there's can't. mathematical reasons that we cannot share our picks with each other <laughs> yeah we, i mean it doesn't really matter because as i said uh, before we started recording i have money on both i'm gonna probably i could make a, a pick here that it wouldn't be the same pick i'll make for your pool but we can't we, we, it's gonna be a blind pick so so it's a whole thing but um I, keith i know that you like the bengals that was kind of the team that you were bandwagoning coming in, into the playoffs and they're, they're yeah, kind man. of a surprise fun team. to watch yeah they, they're yeah. burrow's been incredible um so i, I assume whoever you're gonna pick that, that's probably who you're going to be pulling for right that's yeah exactly i truly have no idea and i'm not trying to throw you off the scent here right now like i could pick i could pick either team honestly i don't know how i'm going to to kind of make that decision sunday but or next sunday but um clearly like want the Bengals to win i think as much like the matt stafford thing's cool too like there's really this is a great super bowl to watch like i I don't think there's a bad outcome like you don't have those kind of like boring Super Bowls where you know the Pats are going to win or the, even last year wasn't very fun to watch I didn't think um, I like some storylines like some fresh kind of teams in there so this this is good I think I, I'm, I'm happy with either one but definitely pull them for the Bengals I was just I was just nervous it was going to be like Chiefs 49ers would have fucking sucked like that I would not have got up for this is a much better Super Bowl yeah I, I agree with you there um I will say, as I said, I've got money on both because I, I actually I was feeling the Rams before the the season, so I bet on them both to to win the NFC and to win the Super Bowl. So I just took the money that I got from when they won the NFC. I threw it on the Bengals to, to win the Super Bowl. Rams is a bigger win for me, so I'm going to be pulling for the Rams. I think, but I got I, you know I'm I, I'm the fucking degenerate. I'm, I'm, I'm hedging over here. I'm, I'm hedging over here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's uh, another level of gambling that you hit, like when you're when you're doing that. So. That's that's like intermediate to expert level. This is a, an intervention for all of us, not not Nick. That's the, <laughs> yeah, the trick. Well, let's not forget who was answering all the gambling questions when me and Keith started out here. <laughs> Explain to me what these odds mean. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, on that note, and bringing it back full circle to me being a fucking degenerate, I'll be probably I'll be. What's the line right now? Bengals plus one seventy five. I'll be I'll be rooting for the Bengals because that's where my money will be. <laughs> Is there an over under on how many times Burrow's going to get sacked? Because I feel like that. Oh is yeah, gonna be the 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 over man they. They got a prop for everything. <laughs> of course they do. That's a terrible question. Yeah, of course they do. Yeah, props for everything. It'll be. Um, it, it will definitely be the over. I feel whatever it is, Donald's gonna gonna run wild. It's gonna be a, a, an interesting game. Um, all right, let's end it there, fellas, um, and we'll do it again within three weeks' time. Yeah. Yeah, let's make it sooner than later. We made it all the way through without talking even a little bit about NHL All-Star Weekend. Congrats. Go figure. Us. <laughs>